0: Welcome, welcome in. Friday, October 8th, I think, or something like that. Um, My name is Jonathan Rogers. I'll be your host uh, per usual today. We got a great show lined up. Got another guest appearance by a most illegal fantasy football owner. We'll play the, the least shambly game of two truths and a lie we've had all year. So a, a big win there. I, you, you're all probably wondering how I'm doing. Um, if you saw, we'll get into the lineups here in, here in just a bit after we go through some news, but you probably saw the, the outcome of my game. And And, you know, at this point, I have become immune to the pain of fantasy football. I have developed a callus so thick. That to lose in the way that I lost is is it unaffected, completely unaffected. But we'll, we'll get that into a second. First up, um, let's jump into the news. We got a lot to cover, so I think this is important.
1: News team assemble!
0: So this last week we had one pretty substantial trade go through in the league, and and we'll talk about that. Uh, but I also wanted to just say, nice job, everybody. We are uh we are really using that trade block feature here on Sleeper, and I'm I'm all for it. JD, our, our guest star on the show today and I. Uh we're gonna go through kind of the the trade block and what that looks like. But the the big trade that went through this week, I I think it was a, a really great example of 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 moving people who are currently doing well or who have the potential to go up in, in exchange for a proven talent over time that we're not sure how they're going to adjust going forward. So the trade that I'm talking about here, was between Matt and Braden Davis. Uh, Irby sent Cordero Patterson, recent running back from Atlanta, Phenom, taking the league by storm. Amari Cooper, uh, wide receiver for Dallas, and a 2022 first round draft pick. That'll be used here in just a few months after the season's over. Now, Braden, in return for Matt's extension, sent back Saquon and a 2023 first-round draft pick. So, essentially, they swapped first-round picks for the next couple years, moving up one, moving back one, it, it, on a year-by-year level rather than a, than a round level. On first glance, this trade seems pretty even. Um, Cordell Patterson is an unproven running back. Matt, I think here... I, obviously don't know, but is looking to profit uh, off of recent success. Cordero has had a a long career as a kick returner for a number of different teams, most notably the Chicago Bears. And so it makes sense that Matt would want to move him for a more proven running back like Saquon. All in all, um, pretty fair. My personal take is I'm a bit surprised that Braden would, would draft Saquon so high and then move on from him at this point in the season. I mean, Saquon has recently had a couple great games, and so it would seem that if you drafted him so high and didn't trade him earlier in the year when he was doing poorly, but rather waited until he kind of peaked, there must just be a, a pretty substantial lack of trust. So I, we'll see how this trade ends up. I think it'll kind of just depend on, on Saquon's longevity. But I, off, I mean, off the cuff right now, it looks like Matt kind of got away with one, sending over a a mid-tier wide receiver to a, who has elite upside on a good offense um, and an unproven wear, waiver wire running back. So we'll see what happens going forward, but that I think that that's kind of my two cents. Outside of the trade, though, uh, there were, like I said, five or six players put on the trade block over the last couple of weeks, including Miles Gaskin, Miles Sanders, Cole Beasley, Deontay Johnson, and Hunter Renfro and Derek Carr. These are all guys that I think have performed decently to now, but aren't going to make it into the starting lineups of the players that added them into the trade block. Um, It's tough to figure out exactly what position and role the trade block will play in this league right now, it views, I view it as a way just to kind of communicate to the league, hey, I'm open to trading this player. Um, that's how Braden put Saquon up on the market, and that's how that deal got done so quickly. So we've seen in, in a couple examples, I think, where where the trade block is beneficial. I think there's always a concern that putting a player up on the trade block immediately decreases the perceived value of that player by the league. I don't think that's the case at all. I think at the end of the day, you kind of have to look. At that, just as a tool of communication rather than a than a statement of of success or not success or preference of a player. But anyway, outside of the trades in the trade block, we had seven waiver claims run through last night. Another great example of people lighting their money on fire. Matt Irby picked up Dan Arnold uh, for Hayden Hurst for twenty dollars when there was absolutely no reason for that to happen. JD went in on Damian Williams pretty hard, and he also bid twenty, but ended up being a bit justified just because Matt and Jacob both had uh, bids on him at 5 and $1 respectively. Kind of a surprise pickup that I saw come through was Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb is Questionably, the wide receiver two in Green Bay. He's coming off a really great week where he caught a couple touchdowns, and, and you kind of saw why Aaron Rodgers specifically requested as a part of his contract that Randall Cobb be brought back to the Packers. Um, and so Nick made a good move there, I think, just kind of getting a piece of a good offense. We also saw Nick add Samajé A. P. Ryan, which is. Kind of a potential one week rental. We're we're still not certain as of right now whether or not Joe Mixon's actually going to play on Sunday. He was listed as week to week uh, coming into the week after his uh, injury last week, but I think that'll be that'll kind of remain to be seen. At the end of the day, Boomer Sooner. So Samaje Perine still the NCAA record holder for most rushing yards in a single game. So. Upside's there. I mean, he's not going to be playing KU every week, but if he gets a hold of one, I think he has the talent to go forward. I spent up on Alex Collins uh, going into the week. Alex Collins is the backup running back, sort of, for S- Seattle. Um, there were some rumors that Chris Carson might be missing a game this week, and so that was kind of the impetus for that. Um, and then Seth picking up Khalil Herbert. Uh, Khalil Herbert is the third string slash co-backup running back for David Montgomery in Chicago. Um, Khalil had a great preseason. I know that we, um, that we looked at him kind of coming into the year as someone who could bust out. So it kind of remains to be seen if Khalil Herbert or Damian Williams, um, both backup running backs, will kind of share that workload or take that on full time. Kind of a big surprise drop, though, was, was uh, Logan Thomas. So Logan Thomas, tight end for um, the Washington football team, was dropped by Braden Davis for unknown reasons, uh, injury concerns, I would presume, um, seems, seems a bit odd to me that he would get dropped. Logan Thomas has been a, I mean, a perennially talented tight end. Well, and I say perennially, I mean, for two years. So a couple of years, he's been, uh, performing well as a tight end and especially on a Washington football team team that, Ends up having to throw the ball a lot late in games when they get behind. And, and oddly, Taylor Heineke, uh, quarterback for the football team, has been playing out of his mind this year. So kind of something interesting to monitor, see who can uh, snag the, uh, Logan off the waivers. I think that'll be um, a good pickup for someone when waivers on him specifically run tonight about 2.01 a.m. So t- something fun just to kind of watch over the weekend. So that's all the news that I have for us today. Next up, I want to switch over and roll into a look back at at last week. Marty! You've got to come back with me! Where? Back to the future! Indeed. So the first matchup that I want to, we're going to go through these kind of quickly. I, I want to make sure that we are, we're getting to next week's matchups. And I got a fun segment also I want to include this week. So we'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. But, but real quickly, the saddest matchup on the week was definitely Mitch and I. Um, Mitch and I? Ended up being the top two scorers on the week, so congratulations is owed to to Mr. Maddox on, an, on a great run. DJ Moore, uh, David Montgomery, prior to going down with an injury, both balled out like crazy. And I mean, even though Devontae Adams didn't have a, a great game for kind of the second week in a row— that's something to to really admire is that the young guys on these dynasty teams are kind of finally starting to show out. So Mitch almost broke 140. I came in to Monday night down by over 40 points with just Austin Eckler and Darren Waller to play. At that point going into Monday, I had completely given up on the game. Uh, I had gone through the grieving process and, and kind of punted any chance I had at winning. But then I watched the first half of Monday Night Football and my goodness, Austin Eckler balling out. I ended up having to go to bed. I'm an old man. But when I woke up in the morning to see if I could have possibly pulled out an upset after going into the week so down so much, all I saw were sleeper notifications telling me, hey, Austin Eckler scored a touchdown. Hey, Darren Waller scored a touchdown. I was like, oh my gosh, I had to have one. And when I opened up the app to see another point and a half loss back-to-back weeks and on top of that to be the second highest scorer on the week, just... I mean, it, it sucks, but it's a part of the game, you know? That's why I, I, I'm i a tough-as-nails commissioner. I, I fight through the pain. I, I play for the people, and so um, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Besides the sadness that I endured, probably one of the saddest displays on the week was the matchup between Nick and Corey. My goodness, you guys, I I really hoped that you are trying to set out a good roster. Nick overcame the impossible and actually was able to beat out Corey when one of his players scored negative points. That's a that's a tough one to do. I started Naheem Hines in another league, so I I know what that feels like. But the score, the final score of this game was sixty-five to fifty-eight in favor of Nick. Um Man, I just feel I just feel for them, you know? I fear for y'all, Nick. Uh, Who's probably going to be getting back Christian McCaffrey here this week or next week? So I'm about to not feel real bad for Nick anymore. But Corey, man, we'll, we we got to figure something out, dude. You got to let's we'll we'll make some moves. We'll make something happen. Next matchup to get into was was JD versus Brennan. JD performed well again. He's got this really consistent roster built up, kind of spearheaded by Debo Samuel. He's that dude right now. I mean, Debo. On a busted play, ended up scoring a seventy-yard touchdown after Trey Lance came in to replace an injured Jimmy Garoppolo. And Debo, even though he's not usually one of the more consistent guys in the NFL, has really come on strong this year. Next up, uh, Braden handed Seth his first loss on the year, and and that's fun to watch. I like that. We we all saw how tryhard Seth is last week, so to see him get a little knocked down is is, is pretty nice. No offense, Seth. Um, but final score of the game being one oh seven to one oh four. Braden was really pushed on by Saquon Barkley, whom he prompted promptly shipped out uh, after that good game. And it really did not matter that Terry McLaurin and Josh Allen both had another couple great weeks for Seth. Honestly, Seth should have had this game in the bag if Mike Williams even performed an eighth of as well as he normally produces. So I, I think this is a one-off for Seth. I'm, I'm not going to count him out going forward for sure. The next matchup to get into was Tanner versus Matt. Tanner notched his first win on the year. Way to go, dude. I'm real proud of you. But Tanner was led by some great performances from James Robinson, Joe Burrow, and Najee Harris, who has become really just a, a PPR running back dump-off machine. He beat out Matt by 20 points. He was really let down by his running back core. Dalvin Cook, typically a baller, typically one of those guys that's going to score you 25 points every game. He go, Every time he goes out there and touches the ball, 20 to 30 times. But I think the injury was just a little bit more than than maybe Mike Zimmer, head coach for the uh, Minnesota Vikings, had led on and Looked pretty pretty rough out there as he and Alexander Madison were splitting carries. And the last matchup to get into was our third high scorer on the week, Jacob Black, going up against uh, Andreas. There's really not a lot to say about this matchup. I mean, Jacob had the Mahomes Tyreek stack on Tyreek's game where he took. Vengeance and rained hellfire on anyone who dared to watch three touchdowns, 180 yards. I mean, Tyreek was just unstoppable in this game. And this is the kind of thing that can happen when you have the upside of a guy like Tyreek. I mean, it, he might give you four points one week, but you know that is not going to be the consistent result going forward. And so, Andreas, even though he was, he ran out Derrick Henry in a super plus matchup, he just got, he kind of just met a steamroller. And there's not a lot you can do about that. I will say, though, Andreas, Great manager move, even though he was handed his first loss, to start Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson is the third-string wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams. In that game against Arizona, the Rams had some difficulties getting offense going, but Van Jefferson balled out. I mean, 18 fantasy points from a guy that was either drafted super late or not at all is nothing to look bad on, and really an impressive display of a, of a managerial tacticians tacticianry if I can say that, and that's a real word, uh, from Andreas. So, it's a way to go, dude. Very impressive. So, after getting into the matchups, and before we go into our our look ahead and our interview with JD, I wanted to insert a little quick, fun news segment I call J. Rogers' Pick'ems. Oh, pick me! Oh, I know! I know! Me! Me! Now, it is perhaps not as widely known as it should be that I am a a daily fantasy degenerate. I have taken the plunge this year into not only playing in a dynasty league for the first time but also picking up DraftKings and a few other sides to play some daily fantasy which is legal in Oklahoma as a game of skill rather than a game of chance and it's been a ton of fun I've I've gone the first couple weeks of the season and I've I've not done particularly amazingly. I haven't raked in the the widely known millie maker yet. Uh, haven't won any big bucks there. But it's been a it's been a great way to kind of set up an emotional hedge for certain weeks. Like for example, last week I basically started Mitch's lineup, which was great because I was playing against him and he did really well, and so my daily fantasy sports team did really well. So fun little piece there. But another. Another site that I think has been really great this year is called Underdog. And Underdog Fantasy gives you a chance to play in best ball tournaments, which if you're not familiar, best ball basically means that you draft a team of players and then after the week is over, the computer sorts through your roster and picks the optimal lineup from the players that you drafted. And so you get the benefit of all of those guys. It's it's a great way to not have to worry about start sit decisions and to kind of strategize. Okay, if Daniel Jones goes off this week for some random reason, who's the beneficiary? Is it Evan Ingram? Is it Kenny Galladay? Whoever. Um, while also being able to get exposure to more players. But so Underdog does does best ball stuff. But Underdog also does some pick 'em games every week. And so you can go through and it more or less is a is a parlay style game where you go through players that they make available to you and you choose whether or not they're going to hit over under certain statistics that they lay out on their site. So, every week kind of going forward just for fun. I thought I would I would put a buck in on a couple of these and try to hit a five-stat parlay. I just for fun. I mean, I'm here for the content We've got a good, solid listenership of just about four and a half people. Sometimes we get up into the teens, and that's, that's a little crazy for me. But I thought it'd be fun just to kind of share with y'all uh, a couple of picks that I have going into the weekend, and we can kind of keep track of how much, I am, how much money I am wasting or losing. So, so for a buck this week, for a chance to 20x, so <laughs> turn a dollar into $20, here's what I need to happen. I'm choosing. I'm looking at the specifically two games that I think have a good chance of of kind of lining up in a way that I can rest on some stats from that game. And the two games that I'm looking at are the Green Bay Cincinnati game and the Cleveland Chargers game. So in that Green Bay and Cincinnati game, I'm choosing for Aaron Rodgers to hit over 267 and a half passing yards, and I'm choosing for Jamar Chase wide receiver for the Bengals, to hit over 66.5 receiving yards. Now, I'm looking at this game, and typically I would be nervous to start a team's number one wide receiver against Green Bay. Um, Jair Alexander is that top defensive back for Green Bay, and he has just been elite all year. He's known as a shutdown corner, uh, and he's going to lock down your number one option on a team. Well, last week, he ended up going down to a pretty severe shoulder injury and going into the weekend, it's not confirmed yet, but... Coach for Green Bay, Matt Lafleur, has said that it seems unlikely that he will play. So with Jair Alexander out, looking at second or third string defensive backs on a on, a, on an ascending talent like Jamar Chase, it seems like a safe bet. And if Jamar Chase is going to go off, and I mean over six and a half yards isn't necessarily a a league destroyer. But if he's going to hit the over on his receiving yards, it would make sense that Green Bay is going to be in catch-up mode for a lot of the game. And so Aaron Rodgers can hit over that 267 number. So that that correlation between in a a high-scoring, high-yardage requirement game, I think is going to lean in in that favor so where they can both hit the over. And the next game that I'm looking at is that Chargers-Browns game. Now, I'm looking at three players, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham and Justin Herbert. Now, I went into this pick 'em section thinking, all right, Cleveland has a great shot to win this game. So I I'm picking them kind of as the if there was a money line, I'm picking I'm picking uh the Browns to to win this. The stats that I'm looking at though for for the Browns is Nick Chubb to hit over 89 and a half rushing yards and Odell Beckham to hit over 54 and a half receiving yards. Now, the Nick Chubb number really comes down to the abysmal defense, well, the, the abysmal rush defense of the Chargers. Over the season, we've seen the Chargers play this run funnel defense. So basically, they're covering the wings. They will not get beat deep. But to do that, they're going to actually have to let the ball kind of get run on them a little bit. So we saw Zeke destroy them a couple weeks ago when the Chargers played Dallas. Um, we've seen Clyde edwards lair notable sucky running back for the Chiefs hit 100 yards against him. So I think Chubb, even though he's sharing the backfield with Kareem Hunt, I think he can have one of those 20 carries for 100-yard games, and that'll put him over that 8, 9.5. I'm also looking at Odell over 54.5 because Baker played like garbage last weekend. and this. So there's not a ton of analysis here on this Odell pick. Over 54.5 receiving yards, it's tough because I think some of it comes down to just I mean, he's due. Baker had him open for a couple touchdowns last week. That would have been over 54 yards if he just caught one of the passes. And so I think that the Cleveland offense is hitting a turning point where they're going to be able to run the ball, but they're only going to be able to run the ball after they get ahead on the Chargers. And so I don't know if Derwin James uh, has the coverage ability to cut, to wrap up Odell. And so I'm looking at him to hit over that 54 and a half number, um, which seems kind of low relative to Odell's ceiling, even in a game or even in a season where he hasn't really hit that mark. And the other player that I'm looking at in this Cleveland Chargers game is Justin Herbert. And I have Justin Herbert throwing under 276 and a half passing yards. Now, Justin Herbert seems like a safe quarterback. He has kind of picked apart everyone that he's played. The the Chiefs game, um, the Dallas game wasn't super high scoring, but we still saw a really great display of passing that was, I mean, covered up in yards and even though they kind of got locked down by the Raiders, I i mean, he was still playing really well and delivering a good ball. So I, I'm looking at him, though, even though he's had this success going into the year, Cleveland's pass rush has just been nasty. I mean, Miles Garrett and the company have put everyone that they've played on, I mean, in skates. We saw Kirk Cousins last week in that uh, Browns-Vikings game get held to, I mean, it felt like dirt. The game ended up being, even though it had an anticipated like 48-and-a-half over-under in that game. It ended up hitting the over at 30 points total. So I'm looking at the disruptive qualities of the Cleveland pass defense to kind of hold Herbert at bay and, and limit the ceiling that he would typically have going into a game with the weapons that he has. Now, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I will be totally forthcoming next week if I get smoked, um, and I will... I guarantee... That the moment that I hit four of these five, I will be absolutely soul crushed, and so um, I'll keep you updated though, and we can kind of follow my, follow along and I mean every time that you get to experience another man's misery, it just it gives joy, I'm sure, to someone. so anyway, let's get in to next week's matchups. boys let's go First up. We got Nick Marr taking on Seth. Uh, Nick and Seth are both three and one. Both playing really well. Nick recently on a bit of a downturn just off of the Christian McCaffrey injury. Um, Nick McCaffrey was shown showing up at practice this week on a golf cart. And so I'm going to look for Nick to be able to put him into his lineup instead of Kenyon Drake for the, <laughs> and maybe actually have a running back this week. So right now, Seth, is he's stocked up. I mean, Josh Allen, Chase Edmonds, Darrell Henderson, Terry McLaurin, Justin Jefferson. You just look through this lineup and it is it is chock full of of amazing talent. So Seth's going to be a force to reckon with this week. Going into Sunday, he actually has the highest empl- or the highest projected point score on the week. And so it'll just be a matter of of Seth's guys hitting to where uh, Nick can actually keep up or not. So, next up, we have Braden versus Brennan. Uh, Brennan's actually at, at one and three, slated to win this game against Braden. He's projected to be at a two point victory right now, it looks like. And so, I like Brennan's lineup here. I think he's got a great shot to kind of ride out of this slump and, and carry some momentum forward. But I think a big reason that Braden's not favored going into this game is just because of the recent trade of Saquon. Cordero Patterson's only projected to score 10 points, even in a bad matchup against the New York Jets who have been just one of the worst teams against running backs this year and so I I don't know if I buy the projected point score we'll look at kind of as the week goes along but Braden being able to slide T Higgins back into his lineup after a couple weeks off with a shoulder injury seems like it might work out in his favor and I think he might take this one the next matchup to look at is JD versus Corey gosh man JD is favored here by seven points against Corey and you just got to feel for the poor guy. I mean, J.D. here is lining up Herbert and Chubb, who we just kind of talked about in the pick em section. Great talents. Even though Herbert, I don't think, has a super high ceiling this week, he's definitely going to outscore Carson Wentz, um, who Corey is being forced to roll out because of injuries to Garoppolo. Fitzpatrick, and Tua, who are all quarterbacks on his roster. That's just bad luck, honestly. So it's going to really come down to the wide receiver play. Tyler Boyd going up against Green Bay, that projects to be a pretty high-scoring game. Uh, CeeDee Lamb against the Giants, kind of round out Corey's core, and then J.D.'s formidable Godwin Cup stack. Those two did not hit last week. I would project both of them to hit this week. Next up is Matt versus Mitch. Uh, This lineup as of today is is not looking great for Mitch, but I think that's just because he hasn't quite subbed out Montgomery yet. Um, I'd look for Mitch to move Chuba into a starting running back slot and then move one of his bench wide receivers in, um, looking at probably Henry Ruggs or Jalen Waddell. On Matt's side, uh, his high score projected total of 119 comes in large part because of running back play. Big projected point totals from Cook and Barkley kind of and obviously uh, Travis Kelsey, tight end for the Chiefs, kind of round out his lineup. It's really going to come down to whether his wide receiver core can match what Mitch's wide receiver core did last week. Devontae Adams, DJ Moore, Robert Woods are all big pieces on Mitch's side. And Matt's going to be relying on the recent success of A.J. Green in the hopeful success of Cole Beasley in a really favorable matchup against Kansas City in a game that I think the over-under right now is like 56 and a half. So um, if those guys hit the way that they could in the matchups that they're in, that's going to crush. Next matchup to get into is uh, myself versus Andreas. Currently, it's projected that I'm going to win by 12 points, but I'm not so sure about that. The two running backs that they have projected highest for me are in just brutal matchups. Clyde and Eckler are facing some of the nastiest defenses as far as rushing yards are concerned. And so it's really going to come down to the upside of wide receivers, I think, on, on my side. And we'll get to see kind of a big part of this game. Uh, Russell Wilson play on Thursday night. Um, this is podcast being recorded as of Wednesday. We're going to get a good metric on what that game really ends up looking like after that. Um, Andreas's side, running out Lamar Jackson against Indianapolis and Derrick Henry against Jacksonville. Two great matchups, and I would look for them to to just crush this week. And I think those guys right there kind of set the tone for how the matchup is going to go. Next up, we have Tanner versus Jacob Black. Uh, This game is only a three-point difference. Uh, Both teams are coming off of wins. Tanner his first and Jacob his second on the year. It's going to be tough for Tanner. I, I'm not going to lie. I think Tanner, even though he's only not, only projected to lose by three, if the Mahomes hill stack hits again in that matchup against Buffalo, which has the highest over-under total of any game on the week, that's going to be tough. That's going to be real tough to overcome. On top of that, Jacob's still rolling with DeAndre Hopkins, who, even though he's been in a slump the past couple of weeks, really has the chance to go off at any time. Um, on Tanner's side, Tanner's just kind of the team... Filled with players that they're due, they're they're due to perform. Uh, as of the date of this recording, Tanner is still rolling with Kadarius Tony. Uh, Tony had a couple pretty impressive plays last week, and what amounted to a good performance. But I'd be watching to see if he ends up in the starting lineup once week starts. Um, Probably the most exciting news that Tanner got this week, though, was uh, Trey Lance. Trey Lance was announced the starter for San Francisco. Well, probably the likely starter going into their game against Arizona this weekend. Um, Trey Lance scored 20 fantasy points and one half of football after the Jimmy Garoppolo injury last week. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Tanner swap out Trey Lance for Joe Burrow if it is confirmed that Trey Lance is going to be the starter this week. And that will just about round up the matchups. Um... It's looking like another great week. I'm excited to see what happens this week. I'm coming off of a couple losses in a row, and so I would sure like to right the ship, um, but it'll be fun to see uh, how right these projections stay on. So after looking through the matchups, looking back on last week, and hearing how I'm about to light some money on fire in real life, let's talk with another mostly legal fantasy football owner. Well, welcome back to the Most legal Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm here with another one of our owners, J.D. Weiss. J.D., what is up, dude?
1: Well, thank you for having me on on this
0: beautiful Beat Texas Week. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so just to kind of get us rolling, wh- tell us a little bit about yourself. What's, uh, what's your M.O., man?
1: Well, I am one of the other attorneys in this group. I practice up in Oklahoma City, but my wife and I live down in Norman. I'm actually originally from Los Alamos to a couple of transplant families. My dad's family is all from Northern Ohio. So that's the uh, where the Browns Homerism and Indians <laughs> slash Guardians fandom comes from, whichever one <laughs> we're currently going by. It's hard to say. It's hard and to then say. my mom's family are all natives. My mom actually lived right across the street from Norman High until she was a junior. A bunch of OU grads. and That's how I got those connections. So coming out here was just like coming back home.
0: Oh, man. Dude, that's awesome. And I think probably one of the coolest things that I've kind of since I've gotten to know you during law school and after that, you live you live the life, man, you get to go to more live sporting events than just about anybody that I know, I feel like it's once a month or more, you're traveling to some exotic destination like Dallas to go to a sporting event. Like, where did that come from? Like, have you always been one of those guys that just loves to go and travel to these things?
1: Well, yeah. um, I've been lucky in a lot of regards. So up in New Mexico, there was no pro sports whatsoever. Um, But whenever my family traveled, we always tried to make a point of seeing something where we were at. So when I was in elementary school, we used to go to a baseball camp in Phoenix every spring break. And during that time, we went to Diamondbacks opening day games probably five times and I got to see the Steve Nash-era Suns play the Kobe Lakers, watch Kobe oh. drop 50 points, and the Suns still oh won. Um, oh, my God. As a, as a short white kid growing up in New Mexico, Steve was my hero. So, seeing <laughs> him play during his MVP years was a lot of fun. But, now I've just been, I've been fortunate in that regard. And being a sports junkie, I just try to, you know, make the most of those opportunities when they arise.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, on top of being a big – uh, big football and baseball guy, like you. You're a huge like U.S. men's national team, English Premier League guy. I mean, are you making it down to any men's national team games this year?
1: Um, I don't have any plans for the rest of this year. I don't know if they're going to be that close. I tried to get up to Kansas City this, it just didn't work out logistically. But I've been lucky enough to see, I think, four times now. And that's always an incredible atmosphere. And going up and just watching Sporting Kansas City play up in Kansas City is, is a great time and a great sporting environment for people that haven't had a chance to see. It's definitely worth putting on the
0: bucket list. Totally. So uh, what would be your favorite sporting event that you've been to in your life?
1: Man, that's hard to say. Um, I think I would have to go with the first – OU football game I was able to attend was 2008 OU Tech the jump around game Uh, at the time my best friend in high school his brother was in the ROTC at OU and they do security so they can bring guests to the games so we stood in front of the band at field level (laughs) for the 08 Tech game and that was uh That was a pretty high bar for everything else to measure up to.
0: Oh, my God. That might be the best environment that Gaylord Oklahoma Memorial Stadium has ever had. I mean, I can't really think of a game that I've been to or even like in recent memory that would top that atmosphere.
1: I think the only one that I've been to that I can think of that had the same buzz was Notre Dame when they came in. Oh, yeah. But Mm. obviously losing that game, it wasn't quite the same
0: celebration that, that Tech was. No, I, uh, yeah, that one, that one stung a little bit, oh. but it, anyway, anyway, this is a, this is a fantasy, this is a fake sports podcast, not a real one, um, I, how long have you been playing fantasy?
1: So I started when I went to college, so it would have been 2012, was my first.
0: 2012, season. okay, man, so you're coming up on a decade of fantasy football. Getting there, it's hard to believe. Dang, that's crazy. Um, So normally we like to ask people what their favorite fantasy successes are, uh, but knowing you. I feel like you probably have a better fantasy failure story than a fantasy success story. And that's not a dig at you.
1: Oh, no, that's, it's a hundred percent true. Um, I, I can tell you the exact week. It was a 2015 season week 17. Uh, for some reason, our commissioner had decided that our league finals were going to be the last week of the regular season. And that was the year that Arizona was just popping off. They had Carson Palmer, and David Johnson, when he was still healthy and good. He actually was, That was his first year. He came on late in the season.
0: Yeah, that Um, was like his waiver wire year.
1: Yep, and that's him up. But I I was all in on the Cardinals at that point. They had carried me to the finals. I had Carson Palmer, David Johnson, uh, John Brown, Fitzgerald, and Catanzaro. So I had five Cardinals in my lineup. (laughs) And they were playing the Seahawks in the last week of the season. It was a game for playoff seeding, so it meant a lot. I figured I was safe to play them all. They were down uh, 20 points at the half and pulled all of their starters. They lost 26 Ugh. to six. I only needed, that was like the app Sunday and every, the guy was playing, all of his guys were done. So I only needed like 60 points from all of those guys to win the title. And I think they put up a combined 28, or something <laughs> like that. I just got steamrolled. Catanzaro missed an extra point. I mean, it was,
0: it was brutal. It was oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, kids, don't let your commissioners put your championship in the last week of the season. That, that is, should be illegal. That it's about the worst thing you can do to somebody because the last thing you want is all these teams playing. I mean, like that's the time where you—it's like basically preseason. Like you're just playing whatever fifth or eighth or fifth or sixth string you're hoping is going to get a start that day.
1: Exactly. If you're we were lucky enough to have a team or a player on the team that just went off their bench now. <laughs> and this, good luck to you. Oh, You're streaming players for a championship. Oh,
0: that's never where you want to be. That's uh, that, And that's why here at Mostly Legal, we have ours in week 17, which is not the last week of the year. That's week 18 now. So there's a, a bit of confusion there, but we're, we're going to get it settled in. We're going to get it right.
1: We'll make it work. I think it'll be okay.
0: We'll make it work. We got a good commissioner in this league. I, I think he's a smart guy.
1: Well, he's a smart guy. <laughs>
0: OK, so uh, since we kind of have been in this league, I think one of the most interesting parts about the sleeper platform is that people are actually using the trade block. I mean, we have seen, especially like as of the day of this recording, which is Tuesday, we've seen about five players go up on the trade block. So before yeah, I get to Black play- <laughs> it
1: will be <laughs> known in the league.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, no. So first before we look at those players what what is your opinion of the trade block i mean it's it's kind of an oddity in the sense that you're putting people you're putting players out onto the market so everyone knows that you're interested in selling them but does that mean that like they're worth half as much because they're on the trade block does that like how do you view that
1: no in my opinion i i think they hold their value pretty well just because you can see that someone's wanting to move a guy doesn't necessarily make them good or bad. I mean there's all sorts of reasons rosters are getting reshuffled. It could be injuries and you need to get deeper at running back or receiver, whatever the case may be. Um but I do think it's interesting how it could breed some competitiveness for trades or things like that. And it's something I think is pretty exciting to see what all happens with it.
0: Oh absolutely. Okay. So so here here's the guy. So as of Tuesday, in our league there are five guys on the trade block. All right. Miles My, Gaskin, Moss, Miles Sanders, Deontay Johnson, and Cole Beasley. So, so between those guys, between Gaskin, Moss, Sanders, Deontay, and Beasley, like who out of that group are you really wanting? I to me, it seems pretty obvious that Deontay Johnson is the best guy on the trade block right now. Uh, number one wide receiver for Pittsburgh, even though Ben Roethlisberger is, I think cooked. I think he's. I think he's toast. I think he gets the target and is electric enough to make, to make something happen with even on a bad offense. But I mean, are any of those other guys interesting to you?
1: Uh, C is a diehard Browns fan. I just can't bring myself to roster a (laughs) Steeler. So I would have to disagree with you there, but talent wise. Yes. He's he's probably the best. Um, Honestly, of the other four, I think Moss would probably be the one that I think has the most upside. Uh, I know Sanders Going into this year, had a lot of expectations, but I don't think he's broken 20 touches yet this year. Um, no. I think he's very quickly losing the <laughs> backing of the staff there. <laughs> and Moss has just been pirating touchdowns. And yeah, I think as, as the season goes on, he's in an offense that scores a lot of points. Um, it's always good to have a guy that you know is going to get some red zone touches.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I totally agree. I mean, of the running backs, even though Gaskin and Sanders probably have the highest draft capital draft capital out of any of those guys, Zach Moss is on arguably the best offense. I mean, Kansas City is probably the best offense, but Buffalo, I mean, they blew out a team 40 to nothing. I don't know if I've ever seen an NFL team really do that in, in recent history. And so it's, re- I mean, to have the running back on that team, and it's kind of a 1A, 1B situation between him and Singletary, but I I mean, Moss is going to score touchdowns just because he's going to carry the ball in the red zone. And that's yeah. a lot of the times all you need is a professional running back to get fantasy points.
1: Exactly. All you got to do is find one little hole and all of a sudden that's a big six for your owner.
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, So I think that the, the trade block kind of feeds next into the thing that I want to – a little game I want to play with you. It's 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 called trending or ending. And so I got I got three guys mm-hmm. here, and I, I've highlighted them because they have – performed not quite as we expected them to going into the season whether that's good or bad it, it's kind of it I mean you'll, you'll be able to tell pretty clearly but so the, the first guy on this list though is is your guy it's Debo Samuel so Debo is currently wide receiver number three on the year yep. he's got 500 yards uh, three touchdowns and currently george Kittle on his team is not consistent and brandon Iu i think is just not there that's the only logical explanation for how he's played
1: like so the monsters got him
0: the honestly they they sucked all of his juice so in your in your opinion like is debo is, is this a is this the new it for debo or is this gonna kind of trail off and, and you're kind of hoping that he just kind of holds on for a little bit longer
1: i mean it's it's hard to say that this isn't the direction for him, I, I think one of the things that stood in his way last year was Kittle getting a bunch of touches, and it's just not happening as much this year. He's always had the ability for those explosive games, and with the amount of touches he's getting, he's almost a uh, addition to the running game for San Francisco. They like to get him the ball close to the line of scrimmage and just see if he can make something happen. And As explosive as he is, it's it's hard to say he's not going to keep it up.
0: <laughs> no kidding. I mean, we've seen him on a couple busted plays. Like I think the Trey Lance touchdown pass last week is is a good example. Of I mean, there was that seven. I think it was a seventy yard touchdown pass. There was not a soul around him for it felt like thirty yards. I mean that, and I think a lot of that is just sometimes defenses forget about a guy, but also he has the kind of athleticism where he can he can kind of make that happen.
1: Oh, absolutely. He can he can absolutely fly. Um, he's shifty and he's got a great release off the line. So as a deep threat, he's, he doesn't quite have the size of some of the other deep threats in the league, but speed wise, he's up there with some of the better ones.
0: Totally. And I mean, at this point, Ayuk might be a drop candidate for people going into the waivers. And so he might end up being the wide receiver. I mean, truly the alpha on his team, uh, out of the wide receiver slot. So, okay. So that's number one. Number two, Alvin Kamara. Now, Alvin Kamara, he's currently the running back 14 on the season, which doesn't sound too bad. I mean, we're only, or not even quite a quarter of the way through the year, but he's only had two weeks where he's been a running back two, or that he's been in the top 24 for running backs. And this is a guy that was drafted a lot of the time, second or third overall in drafts. Do you think that this kind of trend in in Alvin Kamara is going to be the new normal for the year? Or is this trend going to end and he's going to all of a sudden ascend back into the chimera that we know?
1: I think he will start to ascend back a little bit if they get him involved in the passing game. That's always been one of his biggest strengths and fantasies. he got a lot of catches, the ability to generate a lot of yards and touchdowns um, when he was getting thrown the ball. And yeah. it just doesn't look like Winston's interested. Not like Breeze was.
0: It's so crazy. I mean, because the Saints of old, and old being like maybe ten months ago, they were making manufactured touches for him, running these screen routes where he was the like he was the alpha. He was the first read on certain plays. And that just doesn't seem to be happening anymore. And he's never really been the type of proficient bruiser running back to where he's going to – and not like a Nick Chubb type that's going to bust off 20-yard runs just handing it up the middle. And so it just seems so odd that this year of all the years is he's kind of fallen back from what we expected.
1: Yeah, and he's also not getting any at this point, which he's always kind of been the type where he he didn't have a whole lot of carries from the five and in, uh, but he's still – in the end zone rushing the ball. And I don't know if he's even got a rushing touchdown this
0: season. I He might not. And I, what's so crazy is the last time that I played Alvin Kamara, I played against Alvin Kamara, was the fantasy championship of a league I was in last year where he scored seven touchdowns in one game. Whoa. And so going into <sighs> this year it was just that thing where I just expected him to blow up and to be that consistent. And when you're the only receiver on your team with Michael Thomas out and you're basically just running around with a bunch of scrubs, it, it kind of just seemed like the offense was going to flow through him. And that has, that has not been the case at all.
1: Well, that offense isn't flowing through anybody right now. And that's part <laughs> that's of the problem. True. Yeah,
0: that's a, uh, that's a great point. And, okay. So, so number three, Miles Sanders, we just touched on him a little bit in our, uh, in our trade block section, but, He's only been a running back three, so inside the top thirty-six, one time this entire year. Philadelphia—it has not been a bad offense, though. I mean, they played, they got smoked by Dallas, but they played Kansas City close, and they've had some like Jalen Hurts is really done uh, for fantasy at least, done really well. But the addition of Kenneth Gainwell, uh, rookie running back out of Memphis, he's kind of put Miles Sanders to the side himself. Like he's getting the receiving work, he's getting carries. It, like, do you think that Miles Sanders is on the way out?
1: He's certainly not trending in the right direction right now. And given what you, that offense is looking good without him getting those touches, it's, it's hard to see him really having a resurgence into what people thought he this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was a backup to Saquon at Penn State. And I don't know if he really is ever in his career, although people had the hope that he would be – that alpha primary running back, he's never really had that skill set. And so maybe this is a case of us just having our expectations wrong.
1: It could be um, a great fit in that system either. I mean, it's it's similar to what Saquon's getting in New York, but they're just, they're not the same back. Um, yeah. He doesn't have the explosiveness and he doesn't make guys miss near as well. So, I don't know. He's got some work to do to who drafted him. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's like a fourth or fifth round pick for the people that did decide to go with, with Miles. So, and, and so the, the last one that I wanted to talk, this is a secret fourth option. I know I said I only had three, but I have a secret fourth option. It's Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, that dude, currently leading the NFL on rushing touchdowns. He is the most recent example of a former Adam Gase player. To bust out after leaving the Jets, fr- the Jets—I mean, dumpster fire of a franchise—he's got an ascendant talent in DJ Moore. In a couple weeks, maybe this week, he's going to have Christian McCaffrey, as the best running back. I mean, is is Sam Darnold about to be a top ten quarterback this year?
1: You know, going into mm-hmm. this season, there weren't a whole lot of people who talked more smack on Sam Darnold than myself, <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> He's, he's looked more than competent this year. He's looked good. <laughs> he looks comfortable. Um, that offense is done putting him in positions where he can make throws he's comfortable making, and he's shown the ability to stretch it a little bit. Um, you know, I got to see a quarterback live this past week down in Dallas, uh, and, you know, it's hard to really judge when you're standing in standing room only tickets at a Cowboys game watching a quarterback, <laughs> but he looked good. Uh, <laughs> It's it's hard to say
0: he's not going to keep this rolling. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, and going into the year, you would have put money on of all the quarterbacks changing teams, like someone like Matthew Stafford was going to be the guy that had this. And Matthew Stafford has played really well, but Sam Darnold and Matt Rule, the I mean, former Baylor head coach, current uh, Carolina Panthers head coach, they kind of have this crazy mind meld. And I am a fan. I I really like what Sam Darnold's been able to do. And I I think I'm I think I'm in. I think he's legit. So he's not seeing ghosts this year and that, that sure helps. So maybe the maybe the mono just got to him last year.
1: I'm here for it. I'm a Matt Rule fan. I think when he was at Baylor there was no more likable guy at a less likable <laughs> <laughs> program. And oh that I'm, is I'm happy to see just him perfect. Doing well. yeah,
0: that is just the most perfect way to state it. I mean, there is no better way. The most likable guy at the least likable school. That's the exact I mean, Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So I, I feel like we've exhausted the type of analysis that we can really bring here. Do you want to play a game?
1: For it. Let's, let's give it a whirl.
0: Okay. We're going to try. We've, I've played, this is the third week I've done this. And it has, this is two truths and a lie. For those of you at home who haven't listened before. Okay. It, it is we're gonna. My goal is for it to not be a shambly mess. That's my goal. And even if you get every single one of these right and win, I don't even like. That's fine as long as that actually makes perfect sense.
1: So I mean, here- bringing me on is the not the week <laughs> you want to say it's not going to be a shambles because I'm sure I. Can-
0: <laughs> <laughs> no goals are very high currently. Goals okay. and morale are very high. Okay.
1: I'll see. I'll see what I can do.
0: So okay. Topic number one. The theme for this round is moving. All right, moving. You're a big you're a big Cleveland Guardians fan, right? I thought it would be only uh, a pro. <laughs> you're not sure the, yet? The biggest. Gonna- uh, well,
1: <laughs> I went down Sunday and, and saw the last game under the Indians name. And that um, was a cool experience. But I, I'll certainly be a, a loyal Cleveland baseball fan, whatever they're called.
0: <laughs> the Cleveland baseball team. I love it. I'm um, so
1: glad it's not that.
0: <laughs> All right. So here, you're, remember, you're looking for the lie. All right. Number one. In 1941, the Pittsburgh Miners changed their name to the Pittsburgh Pirates. These are all NFL teams. I should have clarified. These are all NFL teams. Number two. In 1934, the Portsmouth Spartans changed their name to the Detroit Lions. And number three. In 1960, the New York Titans changed their name to the New York Jets.
1: Well, I certainly appreciate you giving me the current history uh, in my iteration <laughs> of this game.
0: I, here, I'm here to throw your game. I knew that you were going to know everything else, so I had to. I had to dig deep into the archives, oh, and you, you I dug. thought it was topical. Yeah,
1: that's fair. I can allow it. Um, I I have a football team in Portsmouth, so I'm just. I'm going to go with option two as the lie. Oh,
0: it was number one. So I cannot okay. believe. I could not believe. Yes. So in 1934, the Portsmouth Spartans were the NFL team of choice in the Northeast. And so when they moved, they moved to Detroit of all places as, as one does. Um, in 19, so the 1960s, New York Titans became the New York jets. And that was um, a transition that I, I, I don't really know has paid off since then, but the Titans moniker, I guess, wasn't for them. Um, but in 1941, So the Pittsburgh Pirates were the first NFL team in in Pittsburgh. And until 1937, they were known as the Pirates. But the first seven years of their existence, they had a losing record. And they were not just a losing record. They may have had three wins during those entire seven years. And so the owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates basically just threw out a Bodie McBoat face request to the crowd to try to get a new name and they came up with the Steelers because it's Pennsylvania. I mean it just makes sense.
1: Well all I right. can't
0: say it was a good choice, but <laughs> power to them, I guess. So okay, that was that was a deep cut. I, I do feel bad about that. We'll we'll move into some more into some more current history. So number two, the theme is ground and pound. So number one, number one. More quarterbacks have had 1,000 yard rushing seasons than running backs have had 2,000 yard rushing seasons. Number two, in the last five years, only three Alabama University running backs have run for, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, in the last five years, only three Alabama running backs have run for a combined 3,000 yards or more over that five year time. And number three, Ezekiel Elliott has the most rushing yards by any active player in the last five years.
1: Now, just thinking of Alabama running backs right now, you've got, obviously, Derrick Henry's done it. Um, Josh Jacobs has been great, but I don't know if he's been in the league long enough. And apart from those two guys, I don't know who's really been a big enough player to go for 3,005 years. So I'm going to go with option two
0: again. Oh, close one, man. I, I'm sorry. I must be doing this this hard on you. So over the last five years, there, there are three, and it's sneaky. So Derek Henry, you nailed that one. And yeah. you're exactly right that Josh Jacobs hasn't been around long enough to hit this number. The other two, Mark Ingram, which makes sense, that crazy year with the Ravens where he and Lamar Jackson ran for a combined, okay. I mean, a gajillion yards, it feels like. And then a player that I did not know went to Alabama, Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake has been around long yeah. and Man, I didn't season. think
1: he'd done 3,000 in his <laughs> career.
0: <laughs> I was shocked. It's like 3,067 in your defense, though. Wow. The, the lie on this one is more quarterbacks have had 1,000-yard rushing seasons than running backs have had 2,000-yard rushing seasons. So it, it was a little sneaky, but eight running backs in the NFL have had 2,000-yard rushing seasons. And, I mean, you're thinking of people like Adrian Peterson, Derek Henry, um, Oh my God, Eric Dickerson, like big yep. time rushing guys over over history, and only two quarterbacks have had a thousand yard rushing seasons,
1: which was a big surprise. I guess me. would have figured. And this is here's the mistake: is I was thinking about college football, as well, and the how much quarterbacks ran uh, back in the fifties, sixties, but I guess that wasn't really the case in the NFL. So yeah, yeah. because I, I can it see was great.
0: Michael Vick. Michael Vick was the first quarterback to rush for over a thousand yards in an NFL season. I see. I would have. I would have put money on the fact that Steve Young did it once. I mean, like he was. I mean, he was that first movable guy, or or like you said, somebody like some crazy Navy grad that yes. went and played. Nair
1: or I mean, Culpepper or
0: somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, somebody. Yeah. So that was, and so Lamar Jackson was the second quarterback to ever do right. it, and that was that was a shock to me. I I did. I could not believe that. And then Zeke. And Zeke does have the most rushing yards of anybody in the last five years, which also was a shock to me because I don't know if he's never hit 2,000 yards rushing, but he has just been consistent for that time period. Uh, When you
1: get to run behind the best line in football for a number (laughs) of years, it sure helps the
0: cause. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No joke. All right. This is the last. This is a fun one. This is I think I think you got this one on the bag. The theme of this one is boomer. All right. So Texas sex. is sex. All right. First one. Number one. Number one, within his first four years in the NFL, Adrian Peterson outrushed the mark Billy Sims hit during his entire NFL career. Number two, Baker Mayfield had more passing yards during his rookie season than Sam Bradford had during his. And number three, Rhett Beaumont has more passing touchdowns in the NFL than Jason White.
1: Man. See, I don't... I don't think it's two this time because Baker didn't get all 16. I know he set the rookie touchdown record, um, but just in terms of pure yardage, only playing 13 and a half games, I don't know if he would have got there. Um, Peterson was a monster, but Sims had a little bit of a um, Give me option three.
0: <laughs> you want three? Three is the lie? I want three, yeah. That is exactly correct. Rhett Beaumar and Thank Jason goodness. White have the same number of NFL passing touchdowns with a, zero? a big fat zero. That's yep. exactly <laughs> <laughs> Big Red Sports and Imports could not quite get Rhett Beaumar a touchdown pass.
1: Man, they tried though, didn't they? They
0: sure tried. They would have done just about any they would have paid him while he was in class, I think, to get an NFL touchdown pass. Well, dude, that's that's all that I have for you today. Congratulations and and on your successes so far in this uh, season. I mean, oh, your draft, you. your draft strategy might've been the best of anybody's. I, I know that I've talked about this and I've been made fun of the past couple of weeks for doing extra research ahead of time, but the trading back method, you've crushed it. I mean, like picking the probably two best wide receivers, Godwin and cup have just balled out all year. And to get those guys, you basically just got at least three third or second round picks.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's looking good so far. Obviously there's still a lot of season left, but I, I cannot complain with turning one of those trade backs into Devo Samuel. who (laughs) has been incredible. So uh, hopefully they can keep it rolling. I I would have bet money that one of the questions was going to be okay, name 10 Browns quarterbacks in the last decade. Guys.
0: <laughs> I was I can't even tell you how close I was to doing that. Like I was going <laughs> to I was going to do it as like a mambo number 5 joke. Like it's like that song where he lists off all those girls and you were just going to have to name I'm sure you could have hit a couple.
1: <laughs> I I could have got 10. <laughs> Depending on how long you gave
0: me, like the last
1: last 10 years, yeah, I could <laughs> there's a lot to choose from
0: yeah there's a couple there's a couple for sure
1: here's a fun question for you given the browns history so the the current browns franchise still gets to claim stats from the, the last one okay can you tell me where baker mayfield stands in terms of all-time browns quarterbacks for both passing yards and passing touchdowns he's the same on both lists
0: wow hmm. i'm tempted to say number one just because passing is kind of such such a new phenomenon not I'm quite. Say- we
1: had Otto Graham and Bernie Kosar, both had pretty oh, good careers. Oh, yeah. uh, Brian Sipe was there for a long time, but Baker is
0: number five. Wow, in both of
1: those categories.
0: After like, oh my gosh, what is this? His fourth year or third year?
1: Uh, this would be his fourth. This is his fourth He's year. Fourth
0: year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, that's crazy. And in
1: terms of wins, the franchise record. It's it's a tie between Otto Graham and Brian Sipe at fifty-seven. Baker already has twenty-five. so if he just stays he'll break that record going away
0: that's crazy dude oh my gosh absolutely man well well like i said thanks for coming in i I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out
1: thanks for having me it was a it was a great time beat texas